The Metal Mentality Podcast is brought to you in partnership with AM300 and the Phoenix Project. For more information on both, check out am300.com slash metal. I felt alone. Like I was trapped in a cold, dark room. I will be the last to fall. It seemed as if I felt a ray of light. I won't shed a tear for them to see. Be metal and stay metal with consistency. Continually choosing to make choices for a better future. Fortitude. Having courage while overcoming obstacles. Grit. Perseverance of effort combined with passion while working towards being better today than you were yesterday. Once I broke free, I never intended on going back. But I had made a promise that if I ever found my way out, I would return and fight to liberate those still trapped inside. Rest assured, I will be the last to give up. These are metal-minded individuals, and these are their stories. You're listening to the Metal Mentality Podcast. Now, here's your host, Preston Ewell. I'm so excited about today's guest because it's taken me a year. (laughs) Us a year to get this together and make it happen. So today my guest is Tony Overbay. Tony Overbay is an incredible human being and he's got some beautiful insights here. I hope that he'll just enlighten your life. But I'm going to tell you a little bit about him. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist. That's hard to say. It's a mouthful. (laughs) A certified mindful habit coach, the host of the virtual couch podcast, motivational speaker, an ultra marathon runner and author of the path back an online pornography recovery program. Tony, did I miss anything? Cause that's quite a resume. No, I'm just, I am. So you're right. We've been trying to get this going for a year. So I'm, I am so grateful to be here. I uh, just finished a day of therapy. Still smell like uh, therapy all over me, I think. So I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to you. <laughs> oh yeah. Great. No, man, I don't even know where to start. I'm going to tell you this to start with this. So your podcast, the virtual couch is one of the very first self-help podcasts I started listening to. And I, I was like, this guy's, it's like, I'm sitting in a therapy session right now. This, I'm getting free therapy right now. This is really good. And I remember I was, I was having an, a difficult time empathizing with my wife. Okay. I can't remember what it was about. And you did an episode on empathy versus sympathy. Yeah. And that's why I reached out to you today, particularly about at this time, um, is I want to talk about sympathy and empathy. Uh, Cause you gave a beautiful analogy that really painted a picture of, of help me really understand what uh, the difference is and why they're um, it's important to have a to distinguish between the two and how to express true empathy. And I think right now empathy is what the world needs. Yeah. I think, I think what America needs right now is just empathy. And if we can have empathy, we can put all of our problems aside if we have empathy, we can sit down, we can talk and validate each other and just have a conversation and stop fighting. 
Yeah. Because what's happening in this country today makes me so sad. Um, being a member of the military and, and seeing my, my colleagues and my brothers and sisters in arms have to go defend our capital and protect war monuments and be degraded by rioters and protesters just makes me so sad. And that's why I want to, that's why I'm happy here on today. I want to talk about sympathy and empathy. So can, can you tell us where do you want to start with that? How do we start well, by distinguishing the difference? I, and and I, I love this topic because I feel like this is one that I didn't uh, anticipate spending so much time on until I became a therapist and, uh, and it just becomes so just blatantly obvious in a therapy room, especially when you're doing couples therapy. And so you'll have somebody that says, you know, they, they say, no, I, I, I have empathy for my partner or I, I understand what she's going through. And I remember just sitting in couples therapy after couples therapy session and watching a guy, you know, and, and it can be the guy saying this to the wife or the wife saying this to the husband. But when they say, no, no, I know what you're, I know what you're going through. And, and you would watch that person just almost kind of just react like, uh, how dare you, you know? And I used to think, wait, he's saying this, the, the stuff, he's saying he has empathy. And, and so I started doing a little bit of a deep dive on what empathy really is. And I do think people use the terms empathy and sympathy interchangeably. And so I don't know if this is the example that uh, you heard me say earlier. So I, I'll kind of give this one and I'll go back to the point I was making. So I heard it. Uh, said best once where if you picture that you are walking down the road and you see someone in a hole, I don't know if this is a one, is this it? Yes. So, or, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you see somebody that's down in a hole and sympathy is saying, oh my gosh, I am so sorry that that looks like it is rough down in that hole. And I feel so bad that you're in that hole. And I just so hope that you get out of there soon. Bless your heart. But I kind of got to run. So that's sympathy. You know, it's feeling an emotional reaction for somebody that's going through something hard. And sympathy is good. I mean, it's nice to have sympathy for somebody that's having a struggle or having a rough time. Um, but I can tell you from somebody that is really feeling like they want to uh, be heard or they want somebody to care about them, sympathy can really feel a bit hollow. You know, it can feel like somebody saying, hey, that stinks what you're going through, but but I kind of don't care or, you know, but I've got my own stuff I need to go deal with. So as much as somebody can feel like they are doing the right thing with sympathy. And again, I would rather have sympathy over a complete ignoring of someone, but sympathy can just be a quick stop on the way to somebody then just get into what they think or expressing how they feel. So empathy is walking by that person, seeing them down in that, that pit, that hole and jumping down in there and saying, okay, tell me what you're seeing here. What, what, what's this like for you? You know, have you ever been in a hole before? Um, are you afraid of being underground? Are you afraid of dirt? You know, did you have a, did anybody in your family uh, be over, get overtaken by a, a, a landslide when you were younger? Or, you know, have you tried to scratch into these walls to climb? Or what would happen if I lifted you up? Or, but it's basically just saying, I want to know what your experience is because I can't possibly know what your experience is because this is your experience. So empathy is just saying, I want to be in your shoes. You know, I want to just know what this is like for you. So, so I feel like there's the biggest significance between empathy and sympathy. The sympathy is this bless your heart. You know, I hope you get out of something and empathy is saying, I'm, I'm here with you and I want to be here with you and I want to experience this with you and I want to be, and I want to help you. Um, so I don't know if that was kind of where you were 
wanting me to go with that. And that's exactly what I was wanting you to go with that. Um, so I wrote down some stuff about this and a little bit of thoughts as you're talking about this. Sympathy is an emotional reaction, right? Mm, yeah. So I would say that empathy is an emotional reaction that causes you to take action. Well, I like that. Yeah. So it, it's a deliberate choice to have empathy. It's, you can have sympathy and it's, it, it just happens. It's not cautious, conscious. It's yeah. just part, it, you can look at like, like, like so I, anytime I watch like skateboarders fall and <laughs> especially like when they're doing rails and they, between the legs, they hit their right in the groin. Like I just like, Oh, like I just, I empathize with that. Like yeah, I yeah. sympathize with it. Right. Yeah. It's immediate. Like I don't even think I see it. I'm like, ah, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But empathy would be, I think it's, it's deeper, right? It's got oh, it is. It's like, okay, man, that dude is going to hurt. And I've been there before when I've had that happen to me and he's not going to be able to walk for a week and he's going to question, you know, what's that going to be like? Is he going to question, will he ever have kids again? Or, you know, will he, will he ever get back on a skateboard or yeah. Empathy is going deep. And, and really it's a, tell me more about that. Tell me what that's like for that, that person, you know, to be able to interact with them and really, and really hear them. Um, and, and I got to throw this out there too. One of the hardest things I think is if, so here I'm saying empathy is this amazing thing and we all want more empathy and I 100% believe that we do. But if you really dig deep, the more that I study the concept of empathy, what can be really difficult is that, and, and this is part of the therapy that I love. It's called acceptance and commitment therapy. Uh, the acronym is ACT. And what acceptance and commitment therapy says is, you know, PS, you, Preston or me, Tony, we're the only version of us that has ever walked the face of the earth. You know, we're the only person that's been through everything that we've been through from nature and nurture and birth order and DNA and abandonment, and rejection and failure and hope and loss. And so, so when we come to a situation, not only are we in that situation, but we're, we have all of our feelings and, and, and baggage, emotional, that we bring to that situation. So even when somebody is saying, I want to have empathy for what you're going through, they, they can't possibly really have true empathy for what, what we're going through because they, they can't even understand all of the things that we've been through in our life that bring us to that situation. So that's where I always say it's important to seek empathy or to, to try to have empathy for someone, but and now I go back to that example I was talking about earlier and I'll have people in my office that will say, no, I get it. I, 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 I've been there. I get what she's going through. And, and I think about one of the first times that I kind of really called that out in my office. And it was a, you know, it was a, it was a woman who was um, stay at home mom had three little kids, you know, and the husband, he's like, no, I get it. I'm, I'm home with them sometimes on the weekends when she runs errands. I get it. I know it's hard to be with those kids. And I was like, okay, so, You've been a, a young mother of three, you know, who is, uh, who is actually secretly pined for a career your whole life, but feels like you have to be a stay-at-home mom or you're doing something wrong. And, you know, you feel like you're not really being your true self with these three kids that you don't know what to do, you know. So you've been there, husband, you know. So it's like that. And so I found that even when people are, bless their heart, trying to have empathy, it can still come off as sounding like they, they don't or they don't care. I need to go get my wife right now and have you validate how difficult it is to be a stay-at-home mom. Oh, I go big on that one. I do. I do all the time because I can't imagine that. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, my wife left. Uh, she was gone all day. It was a Friday or Saturday and I had the kids and she came home and I was just like, why, why were you gone so long? And she's like, I told you I was going to be gone that long. It's like, 
but why, why, why didn't you come home sooner? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Like yeah. I, there's, there's no part of me that's going to look, I get it. I've been home with the kids for a couple hours. It's like, no, no, I have, I, I can't even imagine how hard that would be. Uh, yeah. Well, it's, I want to talk a little bit more about empathy because yeah. um, how I came to understand it, it started with really understanding it was that analogy that you had mm-hmm. that you gave about the whole. And it leads me to the question, where does compassion come into play in this? But first I want to talk about how um, I've been able to empathize with things I didn't understand. Okay. Um, so looking at uh, the whole black lives matter stuff going on and the, and the, this, this secondary version of the civil rights and equality. Right. And everything going on. I was like, I just don't understand this. Like I'm, I'm a, I'm a straight white man in America. Like I'm never the minority anywhere I go. Yeah. It's like, I can't, I can't understand it. I'm like, I, what's the big deal? Hmm. Like, I don't, I just don't, I don't understand it. You know? And I was, my wife, she said, if you can't understand it, try to empathize with it. Yeah. And so I, I was looking at people, some of my friends that, that are biracial or, or are black or any color, but white really, uh-huh. there's color of their skin. And, um, I can tell at times they're in pain. And I, and I was talking with, with one of my friends and I like, I knew he was in pain and I, I didn't, I couldn't, I can't put my, I can't even imagine, I can't pretend that I understand what's going on. Yeah. And, and I don't have to understand what's going on to have that empathy. Right. And so I thought about the time in my life when I was at the darkest, dreariest, hopeless point in my life where I felt just sorrow. And, and as I thought about that, that emotion, that memory came back and I looked at him and it was, he was going on in his life. And, and I was like, I'm sorry, man. Like, I'm sorry you're going through that. Mm. And, and I think the reason why empathy is so hard is because it required, if we're really going to have empathy, we, we can't have pure true empathy because we're not them. Yeah. At the deepest level we possibly can, it requires us to go back in time and remember a time where we felt that way or similar to that way. And we don't want to do that because it makes us be uncomfortable. Hmm. Okay. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? No, this is good. So I, you know, I just did a, I did an episode a week ago on ego and, and it really was something that sounds like it's not about empathy, but I was, I was, doing it very intentionally because so if you look at in in this little I'm going to go right where you were here I'm going to get there um our ego is our sense of I me my you know we are we are stuck in ego and so in order to have empathy there's a couple of steps I think that we forget so one of them is we have to be aware that we are seeing everything through our own lens and that is from our from our ego so then I said, you kind of got to be able to, to be aware of that, to be able to step outside of your ego, to then be able to say, hey, tell me more. But I think one of the things that, and in my mind, I'm a real visual learner. I feel like, you know, I just stepped outside of this, uh, like, uh, I don't know, the circle or whatever. And I, and I, and I have to kind of keep my hand over on my ego because I have to realize that even as I'm stepping outside of myself and saying, no, no, I want to hear you. I want to understand when they tell me, when somebody tells me something, I'm still running it through my own ego, through my own filter. And so that's when I think when somebody says, hey, you don't understand what it's like to be, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. And, and we're listening and then we want to say, okay, yeah, but, and then it's almost like we dig back into our own ego to say, 
but but this is my experience and and i love what you're saying because i feel like what we really and, and i feel like when we when we can't be aware that we have to get outside of our ego and then even still be aware that we're still going to try to filter things through this ego you know those that's a I, I even think i said on the podcast that becomes a bit of an empathy killer because even then we're saying okay no i want to hear you and then the person expresses what they're going through and we we may say man that that's got to be hard but you know but you don't understand what i've been through and and so now we've kind of got people that are they're they're not really wanting to hear each other they're wanting to be heard and so i feel like to really have a, a very empathetic conversation i feel like one and maybe this is a therapist in me you know i spend all day sitting in a chair and trying to empathize with someone because i feel like we all ultimately want to be heard you know to be heard is to be healed and so when we when we feel like we're being heard but then the person says yeah but it almost takes away that that feeling heard because now yeah but now somebody's going to say yeah but you know you don't understand me yeah yeah that's really good i think what you're talking about is we're, we see things through our lens or, or our ego. That's our perspective. Mm-hmm. That's our perception that we have. And we react to what we're seeing. But if we're able to ch- see things from a different perspective, have you heard of the, um, the lazy Susan model for no. changing your perspective? No, no. What is um, it? Uh, so if you, if you take an issue that you have, uh, maybe it's a, an inability to understand or unable to empathize or a problem that you have in your life or a task that you're going to take on, on yourself or a goal that you have, whatever it is, it's on your mind. You, you, a lazy Susan, you know, is, is a little table, a little spinning table thing it sits on the table. And it's like a big plate and it spins, right? And okay. so it's it, to dish the food out around. Like we have them like in our, in a lot of the corner pantries. Like oh yeah, yeah. Pan- that's yes. a lazy Susan, right? Okay. So what you do is you imagine you take the um, this issue that you have, whatever it is, it's on your mind, and you put it on there, and you're sitting there at the table, and as it spins around the table, everywhere that it moves, you have a different perspective of what mm. is happening. Yeah. And so you can look at that and say like maybe this is this person's perspective. Maybe, it's, maybe this is Tony's. This is Preston's. This is my boss, this is my neighbor, this is this person. And you're looking at it and from, as you're looking at it in front of you as it's moved, you're seeing it from their perspective as it's moving. Yeah. And that allows you, you to um, have, it changes your perspective one, but it allows you to um, understand things in a way you wouldn't be able to otherwise and be able to understand how somebody else is perceiving something that's happened. Yeah. So, so I'd like that too from uh uh, so even as someone is seeing something from someone else's perspective, they're still, yeah, they're still trying to filter it through their own lens. Mm-hmm. And and so I feel like if anything, anybody kind of coming away from what we're going to talk about a lot tonight is, is being aware, you know, wanting, first of all, to be intentional about being empathetic. It, it really, and, and I feel like there's some really powerful, easy statements that we need to learn of. It really is. Tell me more, you know, uh, mm-hmm. tell me more about that. What's that like? Um, and just having those kind of questions and, and whenever we find ourselves going to the, okay, but you know, that that's where we need to stop and, and just continue to try to, you know, dig out more from what somebody's sharing. And so even when we're watching that lazy Susan spin around just to be aware that we're still viewing it from our perspective. 
And, and I just think that's where people get so stuck. I, I talk about this a lot on my podcast too, is there's a term called uh, psychological reactance. And that's that instant negative reaction of being told what to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we kind of have a built-in innate with us. I mean, it's in business world, it's called change resistance, or, you know, I kind of feel like uh, it's also, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's agency. It's, it's kind of innate with us so that we mm-hmm. won't be dominated by an alpha male or a, a corrupt society. So that's where somebody's going to say, you need to do this, you know, and our brain immediately pushes back. And, and I feel like that's even what happens when we have the best of intentions and somebody is telling us, you know, you know, you need to understand what I'm going through. It's like our brain actually kind of pushes back and says, well, maybe I don't, you know? So I feel like the, the phrasing, the, the semantics of words become important too. That's where I feel like the, tell me more about that. What's that like? You know, and even if we're going to share, if we can't help ourselves and we want to share something that we, we slip into the man, you know, Hey, thanks for sharing that. I feel like, or I worry that because as soon as we go, but you need to understand or, okay, I appreciate that. But you know, you don't get what I'm going through. We've immediately put that person back on their heels as well. So now they're going to have that psychological reactance, that instant negative reaction of basically being told what to do. You need to understand. It's like our brain says, well, no, I don't. I don't have to do that. I agree. Yeah. We fight back on it. And I think the reason why we fight seeing things from a different perspective is because we fear that it's going to make us uncomfortable. Yeah, no, I like that. Let's sit with that one for a minute, right? Yeah. Yeah, I I think – I know like my, my biggest issue is like, I hate being uncomfortable and I'm learning to be comfortable with the fact that I'm uncomfortable and it's really hard for me to do. Um, being a recovering addict, I still hate being uncomfortable. Yeah. And and I disconnect and it, it leads to me just being completely unproductive and not being the husband and father that I need to be. Yeah. And I'm not present. I'm there, but I'm not present. And, um, I think, but I'm, I'm reacting to, to what I'm seeing. It's happening, right? My perception yeah. of it. But there was, I'm going to butcher this quote, but Buddha said, um, we don't react to what's happening. We, we, are, we react to what we perceive is happening. Yeah. No, you did that one well. <laughs> and, and I think that, that's like one of my favorite quotes all time. It's just, is this, we see things that are happening and we, we're asking her, the way that we can step out of this, I guess you would say is, ask yourself, is this happening to me or am I seeing this happening and deciding Mm. that it's happening to me? Am I allowing this to happen to me? Yeah. If I'm, am I a third party looking at this and then like, Oh, Whoa, that's crazy. Or is, am I allowing it to happen? Am I taking that on myself? There's a, there's a concept called a selfish context uh, where you kind of, I like what you just said there. Sometimes it is necessary to, and and even when I talked about stepping outside of your ego, when you can step outside of your, whatever is going on for you and just kind of, I will say, you kind of step back and say, man, check me out. I am totally reacting to that, you know, Mm -hmm. or, or, uh, boy, all right, calm down there, fella. You know, this is, uh, you're, you're reacting here, you know, just kind of step back from, from what's going on within, within yourself. I think that can be a, uh, powerful as well. Yeah. So with empathy, so I, I, ever since I heard that this episode and the, you, about empathy that I was talking about in this analogy, my question I've always had is where does compassion come into play in this? Because mm. the way I understand it, it's, if it's like on a, a scale, it's sympathy, empathy, compassion, compassion's higher. So how would you 
in that analogy, is there a place for compassion? Yeah. So, okay. So now, uh, now we get to, let's go another little deep dive in, uh, in this act acceptance and commitment therapy model that I, that I love. So, um, it, so we, we all kind of, again, have our own experiences that we bring to the table that those are unique to us. And so I feel like what happens with most of us is, so then we're trying to go about life based on all these experiences we bring to the table. And there's a lot of things that we're, we're constantly told that we, we should feel, or we should believe, or we should care about. And there's going to be those things that for, for whatever reason, based on our experiences, maybe we don't feel the same way, or we don't feel as compassionate about, or we don't feel is as important to us, you know, from, from where we're coming from. And so, and, and I kind of lumped that into everybody has a different set of core values and there's a whole lot of values. And so if you are trying to do something because you think you're supposed to, or because you think that if you don't, you're going to let someone down or let somebody else down. Um, we kind of say in acceptance and commitment therapy language that you're, you're kind of chasing after what's called a socially compliant goal. So this is one where if somebody's telling you that, you know, you should really care about something, you know, you should really care about, uh, I remember there were, there were building a, a church building in my town at one point and uh, it got delayed for about two years because they were doing some ground samples on something called like a fairy shrimp or something like that. And so, you know, and there were some people that, that were just saying, just build the, just build the church, you know, and there were other people that were saying, you know, no, we need to study the, the, the fairy shrimp and, and see what we can do. And are we going to, are we going to, you know, disrupt the soil and that sort of thing. And I remember that was one of those times where I was going through this empathy, sympathy values, this sort of thing. And there are going to be some people that because of all of their experiences, they bring to the table. Again, we're talking nature, nurture, DNA, all that stuff that they are going to carry, carry or care more about the fairy shrimp. And there are going to be other people that are not. And, and, you know, and so if you're trying to tell one of them, you shouldn't care about that, or you're trying to tell somebody else, you should care about that, you know, they're, they're not going to. And I mean, you know, and they can, they can have a conversation and try to have empathy for the person and, and why they do care about the fairy shrimp or why they don't care about them. I've never talked this much about fairy shrimp in my entire life, by the way. <laughs> but, but it's like, I don't know if you see where I'm going for it. And so whatever the value is underneath that is what is going to drive that person's behavior. So if you're trying to tell somebody, no, you need to care about this or you need to think about this, you know, all of a sudden this person is going to not, they say that their motivation is going to be weak and, and, uh, and, you know, it's going to be ineffective because that, that goes against kind of what they really feel is, is core central to them. So to circle back around to, to compassion, there are going to be people that are going to care more about, that's why I kind of talked about in that empathy, sympathy in that pit that are going to care more about somebody who is stuck in a pit because they might have had, they might have a value of, um, I don't know, caring or a value of connection or a value of not leaving someone there on their, on their own. Or, but if somebody else has a value of independence or a value of, you know, reciprocity or a value of order, then they, it might be harder for them to truly have compassion for what that person is going through. So a bit of a cop out of an answer, I think, but I mean, there are some people that are going to, because of their core values are going to be more compassionate. Compassion might be more of a value you know, or, or connection or authenticity or, or those sort of things. I don't know. Tell me if that even makes any sense. No, it does. It's, it's, there's a lot of good information in there and I'm trying to, I like the, the being socially compliant. Yeah. I, I get, my wife will ask me that. She's like, are you doing this because you want to, or are you being compliant? Yeah. Are you just doing it to keep the peace? 
Are you doing it because I'm asking you to? Do you have any expectations? Are you doing it because you think that I expect you to do it? Yeah. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, let's be honest. I'm, a lot of times I do it pretty compliant. We all do. It's, it's human nature in us. Yeah. Um, but I, you're talking about this, this compassion and I'm trying to paint an analogy of like how you put that in, in this pit mm-hmm. after you say, you said that the way that I would describe that would be. So empathy, you're down in the pit with the person like, Hey, let's figure this out. Compassion would then be the only way we're going to get out of here is if you climb on my shoulders. Yeah. Cause that might be someone's core so, value of, so, yeah. So you climb on my shoulders and I'll boost you out of here and I'll stay here in the pit and you go get help and get someone to come help me. Mm-hmm. I think that, that that's the only way I can describe it. it you, if, as, I don't know. Is that accurate? Do you think? That's yeah, accurate? no, that's good because, because here's the thing. No, it's, it's brilliant because to that person, if they don't do that, then they're going against their, their core sense of self, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, if, and they could then say, well, if, why isn't the, why isn't, why doesn't everybody do that? And so, but to somebody else, I mean, that's, that won't be one of their core values and that's okay. And, and I think that's one of the hardest things to talk about. Okay. Here's a, here's a nerdy one. I had a client one time um, asked me to take a, it was a, basically almost like this personality test that was using Dungeons and Dragons characters. I don't play Dungeons and Dragons. So, but I mean, so, but it, the personality test was pretty, uh, pretty genius. And at the end of it, it basically identified that he was some guy that would be on the front lines killing orcs and whatever, and, you know, and, and just clearing out an area. And I was a guy that based on the answers I gave is that I'm coming in and then I'm setting up a, a village and I'm trying to, you know, uh, help people with their, their trauma and that sort of thing. So kind of fit this role of being a therapist. And, and he looked at me, he's like, well, that's kind of lame. You know, <laughs> why, why aren't you up here killing orcs with me? And I, and I was like, I mean, bless your heart. Like that's your core values. You know, there's, mm-hmm. there's things there that are central to you. And if I were to say, okay, I got to go up there and do that. And it's against my, my, some of my core values. I'm going to be, I'm going to be, my motivation is going to be weak. It's going to be ineffective. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be a liability up there, you know? Um, and if I asked him to, Hey, step back with me and let's try to assess the situation and, and uh, try to set up a, you know, I don't know. Uh, order or government or uh, uh, mental health services in this town. And he's like, no, I, I want to go, I want to go out there and, and protect, you know, I want to go out there and, you know, then he's not going to feel like he's being where he needs to be either. So we all have our different roles. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and those are all based on our, our core values. So I want to talk about core values. So is it possible to have compassion if you don't know your core values? Well, that's a great question because I feel like one of my biggest uh, jobs as a therapist is helping people tap into those core values. Um, Man, okay. I like this. Is it possible to have compassion without knowing your core values? I I feel, I feel like people that then naturally are compassionate are people that have for the most part almost kind of figured out that that is something that's important to them. And they've, and they've realized that they, they aren't doing life very well if they're not, living by that value you know they, they've probably already been trying to to not care or not be compassionate and they just feel like they're they're not being true to themselves so you know they've most likely found that a natural path to that compassion um you know i, I like to give the example with the uh, values and this one can be a little bit as controversial sounds dramatic but i talk about like the value of honesty 
And I feel like that's one of those that people would immediately say, well, yeah, everyone should value honesty, but take somebody that grew up in a home where their parents were just brutally honest and told them, yeah, you know, you're, you're, I don't know, you're a bad student. You're, you, you look horrible in those genes. Uh, you'll never make it uh, past the whatever high school you'll. And so, you know, they may go out of that situation and have a core value of compassion and not a core value of honesty. So somebody's going to say, how do I look? You know, and they're going to say, you look great. You know, and to somebody else, they're going to say, well, they're lying. And it's like, cause, cause to someone else, that value of absolute honesty, you know, they, they might've grown up in a home where both parents were absolute narcissists who gaslit every situation and, uh, and nothing was ever the truth. So they might leave that situation and have a core value of honesty. Like I'm going to be honest to a fault. So, so, I mean, I think that's kind of shows you the nature of how values can be different. I think it's a lot of it is uh, just who you're born with your natural personality and then the home you're raised in. Mm -hmm. That's going to change what you value. Yeah. Um, What do you value most? So no, number one. Yeah. And this is sounds so forgive my therapist cliche, but I am a therapist and it is authenticity. And I feel like it took me 40 something years to figure this out that it's, you know, if I am not being authentic, you know, if somebody's going to ask me, what do I think about something? I'm going to tell them, I'm not going to say it in a very aggressive or you better agree with me way, but I feel like being authentic and I, and I've got a really dumb example of this, but man, it spoke to me at the time. So um, you mentioned in the intro, I'm an ultra marathon runner. I've done, I don't know, hundred, 150 ultra marathons and uh, a few dozen races over a hundred miles and stuff. But one of the hardest races I do almost uh, every year is this race in the Bay area called the quad Dipsy and it's 29 miles and it's got just thousands of steps. It's this seven point something mile run from uh, a park down to Stinson beach and back. And it just has steps and steps and steps. So you do it four times down and back, down and back. And every year it's the Saturday after Thanksgiving. And a lot of times it's raining. And so I've done this race where it's all six hours in the rain or seven hours in the rain. And one year we start out and it's raining and there's puddles. And so you're going to get your feet wet. But, you know, I had this experience where I jumped over a puddle and this, uh, this, this guy who was running beside me kind of like yells at me. He's like, get your feet wet. You know, we're going to be out here all day. And I remember just thinking the authentic, authentic part of me was like, I was like, Hey, bless your heart. You know, you can get your feet wet. And I remember just thinking, I don't want to get my feet wet right now. And, and, you know, I feel like even in the past, I would have either just snapped at this guy or what I felt like, okay. And I would have like ran through the puddle. And, and I know that's a silly example, but it's, you know, I'm going to do what I'm going to do because ultimately I'm the one that's responsible and I'm the one that's in charge of my own emotions and actions and behaviors. And so if I'm not being true to myself, um, it, man, man, matter of fact, talk about things like addiction. And, and I think a lot of this comes from working with 13, 1400 addicts by now, but it's people that are not feeling like they are authentic or true to themselves. You know, those are people that are going to, when they start to feel like what's wrong with me or or I can't be myself, then, you know, the siren song of addiction comes calling, whether it's, whether it's porn or food or video games or, you know, anything, because it's, it's when they don't feel like they're being themselves, you know, they, their brain says, okay, I gotta, I gotta cope. I gotta check out. So number one value for me is uh, authenticity. Um, what's yours? I'm dying to know, Preston. <laughs> Love. Okay. Tell me more. Uh, man, I don't know how to articulate it. Love is, I don't know why I'm getting emotional. This is strange. Um, 
love has saved me. Mm. And I think I started this podcast to, because I love people. And I'm sick and tired of watching people kill themselves. Mm. And I think that if they knew that they were loved, they could feel that they were loved and knew how to love themselves. That rate, that number of the veterans at 22 a day would drop. And, um, just two weeks ago, there's a kid that I work with. Uh, I work full time for the national guard and a kid that worked with me, um, 22 years old, had everything in front of him, took his own life. Oh man. Nobody knew. And and I just keep thinking like, did he know that I loved him? That did, 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 yeah. did I, did I show it? And as I think back at, on it, I'm like, I didn't do a good enough job. I, uh-huh. I didn't talk to him very much. And I know like none of this is my fault. Okay. But at the same time, like it, it just has add, added more fuel to my fire to make sure that people know they're loved. Yeah. And, I, and like Christ said that this, that were the two greatest commandments that Jesus Christ said is love God and love your neighbor. Mm-hmm. And I think that nothing else matters after that. Everything else, as long as you do that, and let's say you die and you meet your maker, I think that that's, that's where judgment will be based. Mm-hmm. Did you love God and did you love his children? And that's what I, I strive to do. And I realize when I'm not honoring that value of love, um, that's when I, I disconnect. That's when I... Um, I'm not showing up as my best self. I'm not being authentic. Yeah. And um, being an addict, I was an addict for 17 years. Um, I didn't love myself. Yeah. Even before the addiction started. Because I, I, I loved everybody when I was a kid. And I don't mean to make this about me, but I want to show no, this. I want to hear it. Um, one of my very first memories, I was about three years old. And um, I was in the nursery at church and everybody had to bring their own snacks. And um, so we sat down at the table, have snacks. And there was a kid that was visiting there and his parents didn't know or forgot and didn't have a snack for him. And I, I just remember seeing him. I don't remember him feeling sad or anything, but I knew if he didn't have a snack, he was going to be sad. Mm-hmm. And I was like two, two, no more than three. And I, and I said, here, you can have some of mine. And I shared my lunch with them. And as I grew up, I, I've always felt that way. I've always felt the love for people. Like I can tell everyone who's listening to this, like oh, I love them and I don't understand it. Yeah. But I do. And like, I want to help them. I, I want them to know that they're loved. I want them to feel loved. I want them to love themselves. And, and so as a kid, I, I was bullied a lot because I was, I was a real sensitive kid. I'd see other kids sad and I would feel sad too because they weren't, they weren't feeling loved. Yeah. And um, so I was always really emotional and my parents didn't understand it. My, my grandparents, nobody understood it. It was, it was almost like I was born with like this, this superhuman gift to love people. Mm this superpower. And when I would cry and get upset, I was told, told like, suck it up. Life's hard. Like, why are you crying? Like, what's wrong with you? And so I grew up believing there's something wrong with me. Yeah. And it got bad enough that I, that wanting to make sure everybody felt, felt loved. 
I, I, I felt that um, it came with an insecurity of maybe it was developed. I don't know. I just recently have discovered this in myself that um, I, I had this need to be accepted by other people. Okay. And then when, when you have that need I, and I didn't belong to myself, I, I belonged to the moment. And it was just whatever I thought I w- in the moment would make people like me, I would do. And there were different versions of me depending on who I was around. So I, I lived this life of self-betrayal and which led to addiction because the pain was of just not knowing who I was and not honoring that led to addiction. And even after I, I've had years of sobriety now and been in recovery and I still, I still didn't know this. This is just like recently since I started this podcast, this is the one thing I had no idea this podcast was going to do for me is force me to grow. Mm. Um, I, even with sobriety, I still felt this emptiness because I still had this insecurity where I felt like people needed, I needed to be accepted and loved by other people. And then when I came to realize, I don't know what it was, but I realized like, I don't need validation from anybody else because this is who I am. And if you don't like me for who I am, I don't need you. I don't need your friendship because it's not friendship. Um, yeah, that's love. That's my, my favorite value. No, I love it. I love it. And I love when you even start going down and I appreciate you sharing that. And I felt that. And when you talk about, when you get to the, what's, you know, when you were talking about when you're young, the what's wrong with me story. And I love what you just said there about if somebody doesn't, you, you know, if you can kind of accept that acceptance part with oneself and then if somebody is else is trying to tell you that, well, no, you need to do this or you need to think this, or you need to feel this way. That's where we get back to those socially compliant goals. And all of a sudden we're back to the, man, what's wrong with me? You know, I, I don't feel like I can do this or I don't, or why don't I feel the way that this guy is telling me I'm supposed to. And all of those lead to that. What's wrong with me. And I, I always say this, anytime we get to the what's wrong with me story, we got to pump the brakes, you know, cause we gotta, we gotta start from the, Hey, what if nothing's wrong with you? You're a human being and you have the feelings, thoughts, and emotions you do because of all that stuff we keep talking about that you've been through. So that's the place to start, you know, and then you tap Mm -hmm. into your values. And then when you start working toward a value, then things start to feel a little bit more like, okay, this feels a little bit more like me, you know, this feels a little bit more natural. And and that's when you, people really start to feel like themselves, you know, because again, it's trying to work away from when then we're working off of somebody else's playbook, that's when they feel like what's wrong with me. And and that's my, oh, I, I get that in my office all the time. The man, what's wrong with me for thinking this or what's wrong with me for wanting to do this or, and, and I would say nothing, you're human, you know, mm-hmm. and you're the only version of you. Um, so that you're feeling or you're thinking. So now what are we going to do with it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is, is it, or was what you're feeling honoring what you value yeah. Or are you honoring what you're told that you should be honoring? So, so that's, a, I feel like when it, when there's that, what's wrong with me, it's because I'm trying to honor what I'm told I should feel or should do. And I always say, nobody likes to be should on, you know, man, I should care about this thing. Or I, I should, I should believe this thing. And it's like, but I don't. So what's wrong with me? And again, mm-hmm. it's nothing. You're, nothing is wrong with you. You, you feel or think or believe again, based on your experiences. And I know that can start to sound a little bit, maybe like some good old therapy mumbo jumbo, but it just speaks to me. There, no, there's I, a, okay. I it. I, it speaks to me too. That's why I wanted to have you on <laughs> because, because I know I'm not the only one that yeah. would benefit from hearing this. 
and I want to talk a little bit about should, mm-hmm. the word should. And I, I hope I'm remembering correctly, but you talked about the origin of the word should and what it means. And ever, is my, is, Am I, yeah. I'm not thinking, okay, okay, all right. So let me Thank tell you, you. this. Yeah. Okay, yes, good. Because I was like, I hope I'm remembering the right person I heard this from. But um, ever since I heard uh, the origin of the word should, I deliberately avoid using it. And when I do, I correct it because I hate that word. Yes. So tell us the origin of the word should. Um, okay, so this is really kind of funny because uh, I don't know if you've ever done this before, but um, I... <laughs> looked it up at the time and I am not, uh, I am totally, okay. I remember if I, I don't want to say the wrong thing. There's a couple of them. The one, okay. Should, um, came, okay. Tell me if this is one that you've heard me say, or cause it might not have been me, but, uh, a presenter. So I have some notes in here that it came from the old English word to scold, you know? And so it's like when somebody's saying you should do this, they're scolding you, you know, it's like, and, and I feel like that comes that, that, that is throwing shame at somebody you should do this or you're a bad person. I feel, I feel like that kind of is implied. And so nobody wants to be shit on. People don't want to be scolded, told what they're doing wrong. But is that what you remember or do you hear something different? It's, it's very similar. I, re- I thought it was Latin uh-huh. and it, it comes from the word shame. Yeah, yeah, okay. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, no, it does. Because, um, I again, I kind of always work it back from the scold to the shame to the, yeah. and, you know, when shame. And, and it's funny, when I was pr- thinking about talking with you tonight, I was just going over a couple things. And, I mean, I you know, I was, I was going, I was getting my notes ready on guilt and shame as well. Because, you know, same with empathy, sympathy. The other thing, the other drum I beat off in is the, the guilt and shame. Let's because, talk about that. Okay. These ones. Because when I understood the difference between guilt and shame, Mm-hmm. my life started to change. So what is the difference between guilt and shame? Yeah. So, so shame or, well, okay. So guilt, I, I say guilt's a focus on behavior. You can feel guilty because you forgot to do something or you can feel guilty because you meant to do something or, and, and, you know, this uh, Tad Callister says guilt is a stop sign. So I'm, I'm okay with that. You know, I can feel, I oh, mean, I feel guilty. I didn't, uh, I, I would always use these dumb excuses on my podcast or dumb examples on my podcast. I said, Oh, I feel guilty that I forgot to pick my grandma up at the mall. You know that I can feel guilty about that. That's okay. But then shame is, is a focus on, on self. Shame is kind of saying, okay. Um, you know, guilt is I forgot to pick up grandma at the mall. Shame is saying, and you're a horrible person because you forgot to pick her up and you'll never be any good. And everybody's going to find out about this and they're going to think you're a worthless piece of crap and they're going to not want to hang out with you. That's what shame does. And shame goes big. Shame grabs all the stuff that you've been through and says, you know, hey, we're, we're, we're piling on, you know, so then shame just says, what else do we got? You know, and also you do this and you're short and you're bald and you're, you know, whatever, you know, and shame just, just goes big. And there's zero um, things productive about shame. Nothing at all. Mm-hmm. I think shame puts us also into uh, a victim mentality. Yeah. And, and so when we're at that point, when I think maybe it's a coping mechanism we have. I don't know. You tell me what your no, thoughts no, are. No, it is. Cause, cause so if we go and I, my podcast literally today is on this thing called the Carpman triangle, you know, it's this drama triangle. And, the, and basically there's people take on these roles where one's, you know, there's a persecutor, uh, there's a rescuer and there's uh, a victim. And, and when people are stuck in victim mode, and this is going to sound. So let's talk about what victim mode okay. is. Okay? Because, <clears throat> yeah, there, yeah. because there's a, it's important. I think, cause if you don't understand what it means to, to have a victim mentality, 
we're not saying that um, being a victim of a crime or, or a heinous act oh, or something like that is yeah. there's a difference. Like if you're a victim of something happening to you, you're a victim. Uh, but there's, it's a, it's a choice that we make often subconsciously to victimize ourselves by our situation. Well, I like that you said subconscious because I feel like a lot of times it can sound very um, judgmental to, to say, man, you know, you, you're sounding like a victim. You know, if you're saying that to somebody, cause a lot of times when people are, have been kind of used to victim mode, um, you know, and I, and from my notes of this podcast today, it's victim stance is typically poor me and victims often see themselves as oppressed or powerless or helpless or hopeless or, or dejected. And, uh, you know, and, and I think one of the hardest things, and, and I, you know, we're not picking on anyone in particular here, but victim mentality often kind of denies responsibility for circumstances. And, mm-hmm. and it kind of denies that, that they deny that they even have the power, they possess the power to change. Mm-hmm. And so what this Cartman drama triangle is talking about is a lot of times, you know, somebody who is a victim, they don't, they don't want to come out of that victim role, you know? And so then if somebody is not agreeing with them, the victim, you know, is going to try Like if somebody's trying to rescue the victim and saying, Hey, you can do it. You know, you can, you can pull yourself out of this pit. You, you can, you got this. If, if a victim doesn't want that, they don't want to take that responsibility. Then all of a sudden they're going to, you know, they're going to turn that rescuer into a persecutor and they're going to say, geez, look at you self-righteous think that it's that easy. You don't know what it's like, you know, mm-hmm. and, and they can stay stuck in that victim mode. I, one, one of the big things that changed my whole my life is when, when I understood that when I was allowing myself to be a victim of circumstance mm. or what I guess we'll just leave it at that. By doing so, I was removing any accountability for anything that happened. I did not have to yeah. be accountable for anything. And I think that's why we go there is because it's comfortable because taking accountability if you haven't already been doing it is super painful. Yeah. Scary. It's unknown. Think people are going to hate you or not like you or abandon you. you or, think less of you for knowing the truth. Or, yep. Yeah. I, I've never shared this example and, and I, but I'm going to, nope. I'm going to talk in hypothetical, but this is, this is one that I see often um, where, you know, I, I once had someone come to me for addiction and uh, it was a guy and, you know, he, I work with him for a while and then he, he gets in a much better place and his spouse says, oh my gosh, thank you. You know, you've done amazing work and, and he's back and all this sort of thing. So at that point, then the wife said, okay, you know what? I need to kind of work on some of my own stuff. And, and I won't go into, of course, details or anything. But so when she starts digging into some of her own stuff, it was like, whoa, whoa I, I don't like this. You know, it was a lot easier when I could point the finger at him and say, man, this guy, this is the, this guy, this guy is the problem, you know, but now that he's taking care of his own stuff, it's like, I don't, I don't want to work on my stuff, you know? And, and, and I feel like, and that stuff breaks my heart, but you can see that how, when somebody has been stuck in a victim mentality for so long, they, they it is, it's scary. Cause I feel like if you look at deep psychology underneath that, now the person, if they are coming out from victim mode, they're afraid of, okay, well, what if I can't get better? Or what if I don't know what to do? Or, you know, and it's that fear of the unknown or fear of failure. Mm-hmm. And so it, it can be easier to stay stuck in victim mode. And that's where I think, uh, boy, the swing it full circle back to empathy. I remember uh, early, early as a therapist, I remember talking with this person who, and at the time, I think I had four little kids and I was training for ultra marathons. I was teaching early morning seminary. I was working for myself, you know, and, and, uh, and I was doing part-time therapy. And I had somebody in my office that was saying, 
they're like, man, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. You know, they wanted to go out and date more. They were single and they were like, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I'm working 30 hours a week, you know? And, uh, I mean, that was it. That was all they had going on. They're like, you know, sometimes I get home at seven and I got to be up by 11 the next day to go back into work. And, and I was sitting there going, are you freaking kidding me? You know? And, and it was like, but every time I would start to say, well, man, uh, it sounds like you just need to do this and you just need to do that. And the person would just, they didn't want to get out of that victim mode. You know, they were like, no, 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 you don't understand. Uh, this is what's going to, you know, I, I can't. And I remember going to my clinical supervisor at the time and saying, okay, what do you do? You know, what do you do when somebody is just, they don't want to come out of this victim mentality? You know, what do you do with that? And he just said, you always default back to empathy. The person has to feel like they're they're heard and, and valued and somebody cares. And I spent weeks just going on and on with saying, man, what is that like to get home at 7.30 and have to get up by nine the next morning to get into work? You know, that must be hard. Tell me more about that. And, you know, and this person's like, yeah, it's, it's impossible. It's so crazy. And I have to do this. And sometimes, you know, I'm not even able to, I don't know, watch a, a second TV show at night. But, but so then finally, after a few weeks of just going big on empathy, tell me more, what's that like? You know, it, I, this person finally said, am I making excuses? You know, and I just remember going, oh my gosh, I had to take on the acting role of a lifetime and I had to go, hold on, I, I don't know what you're talking about, but you know, do you think you're making an excuse? And they're like, I don't know, I kind of feel like I'm making excuses. And then I had to go, oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know, do you want my role to be the excuse killer maybe, or if I'm noticing this? And, and then the person was able to kind of start to move forward a little bit. They were able to kind of start to own their own actions. And I felt like they had been stuck in victim mentality for so long and they just wanted to be heard. They wanted to be told that, I don't know how you do it, you know? And, uh, and so I go back to that. How do you get somebody out of a victim mode at times? And it's to, to, to let them know you care, you know? I never thought of that, 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 because there's, I've talked with people and I'm like, look, I'm trying to help you, but you say you're doing everything you can to like put food on the table for your family. I just gave you 10 resources and you haven't used a single one of them. Yeah. Like, and there's like, I just can't like BS. You can, you're just choosing yeah. not to yeah. because it's uncomfortable because yeah. then you have to be accountable. But that, that kind of leads me to what I want to talk about next is um, one of my, my top five values. Another one is, is empathy or mm -hmm. sorry, not, not empathy. Sorry. It is, but <laughs> accountability. Yeah. Okay. And integrity. I've lumped them together. They're separate, but they're kind of synonymous. And what I, the reason why I value accountability so much um, is because accountability gives you freedom. Mm. What are your thoughts on that? No, this, I, I love this. I, I dig this because I, I feel so comfortable with telling you this. So, so I, I feel like that would have been one of my top values because as a, you know, as an ultra marathon runner, as an entrepreneur, as a, I mean, I, I, I was only accountable to myself. If I didn't put in the miles, I'm not going to finish a hundred mile race. You know, if I don't, if I don't put in the time, I'm not going to get a book out or I'm not going to be, have a podcast together. But I feel like while that might be my, one of my core values, I realized as a therapist and as trying to have empathy that I, I kind of had to set that one aside because I feel like when, when someone else feels like that's not one of their core values, then accountability just becomes more of a, Hey, you're, you know, what's wrong with you? And so they, they sit there and they go, man, why can't I do this? You know, why can't I keep up with this? Why can't I follow through on these resources? What, what's wrong with me? You know? And so I, and so I, I, and this is one of the things I started doing with working with people with pornography addiction in particular was 
I learned I, I can give them tools all day long. I can give them behavioral changes. I can tell them books to read. I can give them the data of how, the, you know, the science of the brain and, and the dopamine effect and the, all, I can do all of that, you know, but, but I feel like, you know, sometimes, especially with addiction, they just are like, okay, well, man, I, I, I can't look at me not being accountable. You know, can you go ahead and just tell me, yeah, you're broken. I guess you can just go continue to act out, you know? And it's like, I felt like, okay, I had to be the person that is going to sit there with them. And every time they come back and they say, yeah, I didn't do any of the homework. I didn't do my relapse prevention plan. I'm not doing mindfulness. I'm not staying up with my spiritual, you know, practice. And then they're kind of like, so there you go. You know, I'm not, I guess I'm not accountable. And, and I had to kind of say, okay, tell me more about that. What's that like? You know, tell yeah. me what, you know, and it's like, I almost feel like over time, it's almost you're wearing the person down to say, no, you can continue to tell me you're not going to do these things. And, but I'm going to sit here and, and hang with you until you finally feel heard and validated and then feel like, okay, now you're ready to take some steps. So I don't know. I, I don't know if that answers that question or not, but it's like, I love when somebody's value is accountability because they are going to, they're going to kill it. You know, they, they're going to look for ways to become accountable. But when somebody's core value isn't accountability, it's really hard for those of us that it is to not just say, look, you just need to do this, you know? Uh, it's, it's, it's more than just like you need to do this. It's like, just say I screwed up. Yeah. I made a mistake. I'm sorry. My bad. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And that uh, comes, that comes from old deep stuff for people when they, when they can't, you know, when they can't do that. So accountability used to not be something I valued. Like I detested it because, uh-huh. and when I was in the midst of addiction, like I hated being accountable at times. I still do depending on the situation, but yeah. I want to share, I want to share um, a time. I, I crave accountability, holding myself accountable now. Like mm-hmm. when I make a mistake and I'm not a hundred percent of the time, it just kind of, when it comes to like when I screw up with my family, I'm like, Oh crap. I don't want to own this. This this hurts. Yeah. But there, so before I started this podcast, I had someone offer to help me and mentor me through the process. Very had some notoriety and knew some people. And I was super excited about it. And, um, they were doing a, a live Instagram video and I couldn't really hear what they were saying. I was at work and I sat it down and I know what they're talking about. And I, I sent him, I posted a message on it. I said, um, are you a, a baby back ribs or a brisket guy? And he's like, what? And then, uh, <laughs> and I sat my phone down and I went and I got a drink of water and I came back. And when I came back, I had a direct message. And he said, hey, did someone hack your phone? I'm just having a conversation about mindset. And, and then you're, you're saying that and it's like super distracting. You're unprofessional. He's like, what happened? And I panicked. Like I did not, I, I feared that if he knew the truth, mm-hmm. he would think he, he was done with me. Like, you know, like, and I was so embarrassed that I, I, I lied. And I said, Oh yeah, I sat my phone down. My coworker was watching the video. It must've been him. I went off to the bathroom, get a drink. And uh, so there was truth mingled with lies in it. <laughs> yeah. In it. Right. And I knew that I had done it. And he said, well, tell your buddy, he just blew the chance of a lifetime. I can't work with you. Like, like that's totally unprofessional. And, but I, and, and I was just like, Whoa, what? 
I was like, that was the, that was the perfect lie. Like, why, why would you, you know, yeah. I, I, I was like upset that he didn't believe me. And, uh, I figured I was never gonna talk to this guy again. And then, um, I thought about this all day long. It ate at me. I was like, why is this eating at me? Why is this pissing me off so much that this happened? Like, is it because I think he thinks less of me or what is it? And I realized that night when I got home, it's because I, I wasn't, I needed to be accountable. Mm. So the next day I sent him a message and I said, Hey, I think you already know this, that it was me. Yeah. And I want to apologize to you for lying to you. I was wrong. I did it because I was embarrassed. And I know you, even if you still don't want to work with me, that's fine. I accept that. But I need to be accountable for this because it's eating at me. And I sent that message to him and I felt better. Mm. And his response was, yeah, I knew it was you. He's like, he said something to me that changed my life. And at the same time, it was like getting kicked in the groin. I was one of those skateboarders falling on the rail. It hurt because the truth hurt. He said, if you're going to step into this realm of self-help and motivation and all of this, you cannot just say these words. You have to live them. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> he said, you lack character. Oh. And I was just like, yeah. <clears throat> and I was like, oh my gosh, why? Ow. Like that was like the worst truth bomb I've ever experienced in my life. Like it hurt because I knew I was better than that. Yeah. Like I, I got to where I am by being accountable. Yeah. And I, and I panicked in that moment because my insecurities got in the way. My ego stepped in and it said, tell him this. Like, and he, till this day, he still refuses to work with me. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you more about that. It's just crazy. And I, and what I realized though is, and that after that happened, I, I sat my phone down. I thought for a second, I said, this will never happen again. No one is ever going to say, I don't have character. Yeah. No one is ever going to say you lack character. And then when I'm trying to do this show to help people and he was right in that moment, but I've made a promise to myself. I said, this will never happen again. Nobody will ever accuse me of that, especially through this show. Yeah. Like that will never happen again. And it hasn't. And I've, I've had to hold my, just sometimes a owning up to mistakes. It, it hurts. It sucks. Yeah. But I find if I choose to do that, I'm free. Like there's nothing in my mind holding me back. And maybe exactly. it's, maybe that's because it's because it's one of my core values, but I think that's universally true for everyone that accountability will give you freedom. I, I totally agree. I mean, cause I feel like that accountability is, is, is authenticity. I mean, those things are, they're scary. You're absolutely right. They're scary and they're going to at times feel uncomfortable, but we are all, we're, we're all imperfect. And so we're all kind of making these mistakes and, and you're, I mean, man, the sooner we can own them that they just, it's like you're, you're dropping the rope at the tug of war with the, those, those unrealistic expectations of perfection. that we It's like you're, you're playing a tug of war with a rope tied to a tree. Yeah. Yeah. And you're putting it down. You're like, Oh wait, I don't have to do this. Yeah. And, and I like what you said earlier too. If I say that I, yeah, my bad, I blew it or I forgot it or I did something wrong or whatever. And if the person is super upset and they never want to, then it's like, okay, well, bless your heart. You know, that's, I'm, mm-hmm. I still got to keep, keep on going. 
you know, that's, that's all I can do. And the answer, by the way, is uh, baby back. <laughs> when you came, it's a good choice because I'm, I'm, I've got some in my freezer. So the next time you're in Utah, <laughs> oh, I'm in. Sm- I've got, okay. I got, I got a big smoker. I'll smoke you some ribs. Oh, that'd be my thing. so good. Okay. And pull, the bones pull right out of them. Okay. I, I, I haven't been here since uh, seven this morning, so I'm not uh, hungry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, next time you come in town, I will make you ribs. I, I promise okay. you that. Oh, man. Yeah. We'll, we'll have some <laughs> potato salad. and. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We'll stop talking about food. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but but go back to this story. And I, I thought, like, what opportunities did I miss from that? The situation did I what did I lose and what I realized is I got exactly what I needed yeah because if I didn't he didn't call me out on that it would have happened later and it probably would have happened again mm. and I wouldn't be where I'm at as a man as as Preston as a podcast host as an entrepreneur um, every aspect of my life as a husband and a father if that hadn't have happened so really he gave me the hardest most beneficial lesson I can, I can recall. Yeah. And, and I'm extremely grateful for his willingness to call me out like that. Yeah. Because he gave me what I needed. And I think a lot of times though, when someone calls us out like that, because we all will have moments like that in our life, I think, unless mm-hmm. some of us are far superior and don't ever deal with that stuff. But I was going to say, I think, or I think it's the opposite. I think it's some people aren't willing to put themselves out there. Right. So they, okay. they, yeah. that might be true. <laughs> I don't know. We don't have to debate that, but (laughs) that if you, if you have that opportunity and it hurts, the truth hurts for a reason Mm -hmm. because it's what you need to hear. See, and, and, and I love that from a, and in this, I keep going back to this acceptance and commitment therapy model of the acceptance piece is yeah, that happened. And, and so now that becomes part of my nature and nurture and DNA and, you know, all the, it becomes part of my story. And so, you know, and that's where people want to still ruminate, but man, what if I would have, and it's like, yeah, what if you would have, you know, who knows, but anyway, back to being present, you know, or mm-hmm. that might've changed the whole thing of the future. And it's like, maybe who knows, but back to the present, you know, and it's like the funny way that our brain will still try to ruminate or make sense of, or it's just trying to orient itself. And all we can really deal with is like right now. So it happened. I, I like what you're saying. Like now back to the present. Yeah. Right? Um, when I was taking, I took a college cultural geography class when I was going to college in Texas and I walked in and on the board, the teacher had one thing, one quote written on the board is by Woody Allen and said, 80% of success is being present. Mm. And she said, if you want to know why I wrote that up there, she said, if you come to class every day and you're present, you're taking notes, wherever that looks like for you and you're participating in the lesson and you're present, you'll get a B. Mm. 80%. Yeah. And I found that to be very true in life. If I'm present, I'm getting a B and a B is above average. Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah. And so when you're saying like now back to the present, that doesn't mean just, okay, I'm here now. It's I'm here. I'm present. I'm listening. I'm connected. I'm, I'm observing what's happening. Yes. And, and you're, and your brain wants to take you down this path of least resistance. It wants to continually mm-hmm. kind of do this yet, yeah, but what if, or, you know, and, and that's all trying to take you away from the, 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 pre- so the example I like to give with this one is let's say you're hearing somebody talk about running a marathon and you're like, man, I want to do that. And your brain will even give a little dopamine, you know, and it's like, yeah, but then your brain also, it, it wants to immediately go to the path of least resistance. So it's like, well, 
I don't know, but maybe, uh, maybe it, it might hurt your knees or you don't have a partner to train with, or you don't have a, a training plan or, and it's like, so just note it. I always say, okay, I see what you're doing brain. Bless your heart. You know, you're, you don't know what it's like to go out there and do that. And, and yeah, maybe I won't succeed or whatever. I'm not even arguing that. So I'm, I'm going to note those things and come right back to the present. What can I do today? You know, to, to kind of keep moving forward. And, and it's what I, can I do today? And at the end of the day, if you can look back at yourself and say, I, I was, I'm better today than I was yesterday. I think mm-hmm. that that that's how we measure progress. And it's not, it's, we think it's some imaginary destination. I know when I was going through recovery, um, I remember looking at sobriety and make, man, if I could just be sober for this long. Mm-hmm. And it, it was like a, a destination on a map. And mm-hmm. it's like, it's like, I'm over here. I need to get to here, but I got to go through all of this to get there. Right. Yeah. But what I realized is, is, progress is 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 measured by today in comparison to yesterday mm-hmm. not this imaginary destination and we look at other people's lives and we compare ourselves to them maybe someone who's my age and like man wow they got a way bigger house than me or yeah. they're way more financially successful or whatever it is you know i we compare we're comparing ourselves to other people and and but what we're comparing ourselves to doesn't exist. Hmm. It's, it's not about the destination. It's about finding the process. Yeah. So, so in those, I mean, I feel like that's the, cause I tell you, I've worked with plenty of people that have, have gotten the, the financial reward. They've gotten the big house. They've gotten the six pack abs. They've gotten the Ferrari, they've gotten the whatever. And then it's like, okay, now I'm here. What's next? You know, it's, 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 it's just a thing that, you know, and instead of, again, going, living by whatever that value-based goal or going after the value-based goal is, that's, that is more satisfying than I got the thing, you know? Yeah. The thing is the the validation we're seeking, I would say. Mm -hmm. And if we're seeking anything external to validate us, we'll never be happy. We'll always be chasing something and we have to find a way to validate ourselves for who we are and what we've done in the past. And then that's really hard. Yeah. Like, I think all of us are struggling with that. It's, it's a daily process. And some people have got that process down. And they know how to do it. Now, mm-hmm. some of us don't even know there is a process. Right. The old, they don't know what they don't know. And yeah. I, think, I think that that should be the goal in life is to find that process. Because mm-hmm. it's going to be different for you. And that's kind of what I'm, I'm hoping to do with the show is give people the tools to find the process that works for them, that allows them to grow and accept and love themselves and just become better. Yeah. I love it. Well, we're, this is getting pretty late. Yeah. This has been great. I lost, I totally lost track of time. Tony, I could talk no, to you. That's okay. I know it's same all day long, man. This is, this is awesome. Um, so I just have a couple questions for you before we go. Yeah. Um, the number one question I want to get to is the question everybody wants to hear from our guests. Um, is Bigfoot real? Okay, I feel like we would already have. Uh, this, we're too smart now. We've got too many tracking devices. We would know. So I, I, I gotta say no. Oh man, dang! I know. I, I want to say yes. I, I want someone. Yes. I want someone to tell me definitively yes. Yeah. And show me because, like, I want to believe. I'm like Mulder from. The yeah. Like, yeah. 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 I want to believe. I do too. I want too bad. No. The. the, the <laughs> The last, the real question I really want to ask you is if you were to make, able to make a, a phone call 
and it went out to every single person in the world who is struggling to love themselves right now. And they would hear your message regardless of their situation or the language that they spoke. What would you say if you had 30 seconds to talk to them? Oh, dang it. You put the time limit on there at the end. I was about ready to go big. It's just that it's that I, I want you to work from the angle of you're not broken. You know, you there, there let's, what if you start from the, the, there isn't anything wrong with you that you are, a, you know, if we, I, I mean, I want to go spiritualist you're You are a child of God. You have been, uh, you come to this earth with you unique talents, abilities. And, and that's where I keep going back to the, it's all of the stuff that you bring to the table and you're the only version of you that has ever lived, that has ever been. And, and so when you think or feel or be, it is because you are a human. It's not because what's wrong with me. It's not, you know, it's, it's, it's because you're going through this human experience. And that's where I feel like, so all you can do is keep trying, try your best and, uh, and just don't give up. I mean, just keep seeking after um, those, those, your own values, your own experiences, you know, uh, and, and the more that you kind of dial in what's important to you and not what people tell you you're supposed to feel or should do, the more you're going to start to really feel connected to, to life, to God, to other people. And that's where you're going to start to feel more authentic. And the more authentic you feel, you know, the more you're able to just kind of just, just share messages of positivity. And, uh, and, and so it's like, get out of your own way, you know, anyway, I could go on. That was more than 30 seconds. That's all right. It's <laughs> hypothetical. That's right. No, that's great. Just accept yourself for who you are. Love yourself for you are who you are. Don't identify yourself by your mistakes, but just learn from them. And then move forward. I mean, I want you to know that I feel like sometimes people hear that acceptance and, and I feel like they stop there. It's like, you know, hey, acceptance. But it's like, no, with that acceptance now, Go after things that you you value. Go after things that are important to you because that is the way that you are going to feel. You're going to live life. So, find the things that you value. Yes. So I, I literally did this last week. I wrote down the top five things that I value. I love it. And Everybody should do this. Yes. This is your homework assignment. If you're listening to this, write down the five top five things that you value. And if you need a list of stuff, just Google it. There's hundreds and hundreds of things to value. Find your top five. Mm-hmm. And then take that down to your number one. And when you find that number one thing that you value, ask yourself, am I living my way, my life in a way that honors what I value most? Exactly. And if not, that's why you're feeling disconnected. That's why you're struggling. Yeah. That's why you're not in that flow state where things are happening naturally. I love it. Man, this has been awesome. Preston, it's been great. Can't wait to have you on my show. I can't wait to come on. Hey guys, be sure to follow the Metal Mentality Podcast on social media. And as always, if you find value in the show, please leave a review and rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. But more importantly, share this podcast with someone you know who would benefit from the messages from the guests on each episode. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Metal Mentality.